0: We're going to continue in our study in 1 John, chapter 2, looking at verses 18 to 27 this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to follow along. I will also have it up on the screen, and I'm going to read that for you from the New American Standard Version. So if we could put that up. Thank you. Children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out, so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. This is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and is true, and is not a lie, And just as it has taught you, abide in him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word this morning, we bow before you and we ask your Holy Spirit to teach us today, to open our eyes to see the glory and the beauty of Christ, that we might understand your word and see how it applies to our life today, that we would grow in wisdom and discernment doing the very things that are talked about in this passage of Scripture. So I ask you to guide me today as we share from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we've been going through our study in 1 John, we've seen that there were two primary reasons why John wrote this letter to the church. He wrote because he wanted to protect them and us from false teachers and false teaching. God wants us to be able to discern the difference between truth and error, what is true according to the scriptures and the gospel, and what is heresy, or what what is bad teaching or false teaching. And he also wrote to give us assurance of our salvation, so that we might know where we stand in our relationship with God. One of my favorite verses in 1 John is found in chapter 5, verse 13, where John says, I have written these things so that you might know that you have eternal life. And that word know there means to know with certainty. He doesn't want us to, you know, wish that we have eternal life or hope that we have eternal life or maybe it's gonna happen. He wants us to know with confidence that we have a relationship with God and that we are part of the family. Now how does that happen and where does that assurance come from? Well John in this letter gives us three tests that we can look at to discern whether or not we are a true believer. And two Sundays ago, Pastor Ken was preaching and he gave us an excellent introduction to the first two of those tests. The first test is the moral test. It's the test of obedience. John writes in chapter 2, verse 3, that we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commandments. It is the evidence of a changed life. Now, when Pastor Ken was preaching, he was talking about, you know, that, I mean, if this was absolute perfection, none of us would make it. Because even though we have placed our faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord, there are times when we still stumble and fall. But there's a change that's taken place if we truly come to know Christ. We're growing in our relationship with him. The desires of our heart are changing. We want to do the things that please God. We want to grow in our understanding of who he is. And when we do sin, the Holy Spirit convicts us. We admit it to God, we ask for his forgiveness, and we continue on in our relationship with him. And we continue to grow. That is the evidence of a changed life. And over time, we see how habits or attitudes or thoughts are changing as we continue to grow more and more like Jesus. The second test is the social test. It's the test of love. And John will say this, in chapter two, he'll say that anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother, is still in the darkness. If we say that we know Jesus as our Savior and Lord and really want nothing to do with the church, well, there's a problem there, isn't it? Because if we really love God, we're gonna love the people of God. And we're gonna wanna have a relationship with those around us who know Jesus because we wanna encourage them and that relationship encourages us. But not only within the church do we love one another, but we are growing in our love for others too. Because we want everyone to know Jesus. We want those that are not in fellowship with him to come into fellowship with Jesus as Savior and Lord. If we truly love God, we are going to love others, especially in the church. You know, I recently attended the EFCA1 conference that Pastor Jason was talking about, and it was so good to see him there. And there were about 1,500 other pastors, missionaries from around the world, and and delegates from different churches that came to that conference. And I was talking to our president, um, Kevin Complin, about it. And, you know, just asking his impressions, and he shared with me that one of the biggest things that stood out to him were the smiles on everyone's faces. It was like a big family reunion as people had come back together again and you see people you haven't seen in a year or maybe years and you're greeting and you're catching up on what's been happening in their life and in their ministry. There was great joy. And I think about that in our church. I love coming on Sunday morning to see you and I love seeing you connect with others and the the smiles and the greetings and the prayers and the thoughts that are there because we are a family. And if you're new to our church and you, you know, haven't made those connections yet, it takes some time, but that's why we encourage you to go beyond just coming on Sunday morning to join one of our adult classes and adult Bible fellowship group or a small group or get involved in one of the areas of ministry where, where you are working alongside of others and you're getting to know them and they are getting to know you. And you will find that you'll be growing in those relationships and connections. And you'll look forward to Sunday mornings when you see people and you're able to talk with them here. Well, there's also a third test that John gives, and it's the one that we'll look at today. It is the doctrinal test, the test of truth. And for John, the most important question that each of us need to answer is, who do we say that Jesus is? What do we believe about Jesus Christ? And is probably thinking back to when Jesus put that question to Peter and to all of the disciples. And Jesus asked them, you know, who do men say that I am? Well, some say Jeremiah or Elijah or one of the prophets, or some say, you know, uh, you know they had different answers that they were giving about that. And then Jesus looked at Peter and he said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus affirmed that, and he said, Blessed are you, Peter. You know, that wasn't something Peter had come to on his own. That was a work of the Holy Spirit that had opened his eyes to see the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ. And that's the same work that the Holy Spirit does in each of us when we come to know Jesus as our Savior and Lord too. John will say in this passage, who is the liar? Well, it's the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is an antichrist. And we're going to talk more about that as we go through this text. Why is it important that we are able to correctly answer that question, who is Jesus, and affirm that in our heart? It is because our very salvation depends upon it. So let's take a look and walk through this passage. First of all, John tells us that we are living in the last hour, and we see that in verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. What did John mean when he said this is the last hour? I mean, after all, many hours have passed since he wrote that. Well, he wasn't talking about a 60-minute period of time No, John was using this as a word or a term that would refer to the time period between the first and the second coming of Jesus. The last hour is this stage in history in which we live where Jesus has appeared and he is coming again. The Bible also uses the terms the last days to describe that in the book of Acts or in Hebrews. It will call the period in which we live the last days. And no one knows how long that period of time will be except the Father in heaven. And that's why in every generation, if you look back in history, there have been believers who thought, well, this has to be the time when Jesus is going to come. I mean if you looked at the early church when Rome was marching into Jerusalem and destroyed the city and the temple and scattered those believers throughout the Roman Empire they thought surely this has to be the time when Jesus is going to return. Around the year 1000 there were those who were looking at that milestone thinking this is the time Jesus is going to return. In the Middle Ages when the black plague was sweeping through Europe and decimating the population, people thought surely this is the time period when Jesus is going to return. And even more recently, with World War II, with figures rising on the scene like Hitler, Mussolini and others, and with the rebirth of Israel that followed World War II, There were many who believed that this was the period in history in which Jesus was going to return. And even today, when we look at events in our world and we see what's happening in the Middle East or Israel, we can look at biblical prophecy and we can believe that Jesus is gonna come at any moment. And that's because he could. And Jesus wants us to live with that sense of expectancy. That he is standing at the door, ready to enter into history at any moment. What will these last days be like? Well, the Bible tells us that there are two significant things that are going to happen. One, this will be a period of great spiritual growth. This gospel is going to be preached to all the nations. And then the end will come. And we are living in an age when the church is expanding where the gospel is going out to people groups all over the world where we are seeing God work in miraculous ways in the Middle East or we see the growth of the church in China or East Asia and other places like that and it is marvelous. We are living in a generation when the gospel may be brought to every people group on earth. But Jesus also said it will be a time of spiritual conflict and deception. He said watch out that no one deceives you for there will be false teachers, false Christs who will come. We will live in an age in which there will be wars and rumors of wars. There will be famines, there'll be earthquakes, but these are just the beginning of the birth pangs. This time in which we live is going to build toward a time of great distress in which a figure will arise in history who is called the Antichrist. And I'll say with a capital A, it's a specific person who will rise in opposition to Christ. Paul called him the man of lawlessness. But John says that just as you have heard that that figure is coming in history, so already, even now, there are many Antichrists, small a, that have come. They are at work in this world, They are those who deny that Jesus is the Christ. And they had even infiltrated the church. And John will say about them that they went out from us because they did not really belong to us. Their departure was an evidence of their character, that they were not true believers. The word antichrist with that prefix, anti, can have two meanings. On the one hand, it can mean in place of or instead of, referring to a false Christ, someone who claims to be a messiah but who isn't, like the, quote, Reverend Sun Young Moon claimed to be a messiah, but really wasn't. He was a false Christ. And there can also be, or the word can also mean anti, as in opposition to or against Christ. Like when you look in history at the Roman emperors like Nero, who tried to destroy the early church and put believers to death, there are those figures that will arise in history that oppose Christ. In John's day, in which he wrote, there was a man named Serenthus who taught that Jesus was just a man and that Christ was a divine spirit that entered into Jesus the man at his baptism and then left Jesus before Jesus the man hung on the cross. And so what he was teaching was that Jesus was not fully God and fully man. And John would say, that is a lie. And such a man is an antichrist. He is preaching a false gospel. Where do we see false Christ today? Well, you can see it in many different places. You'll see it in books, movies, things that come out of Hollywood or in media where they really do not understand or believe in Jesus. A number of years ago, the book The Da Vinci Code was written by Dan Brown and then became a movie. And Dan Brown would say this about Jesus. He'd say, almost everything you've heard about Jesus is false. Jesus is just a man, he would say, not God. He was voted divine by the church at the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D. There are others like Bart Ehrman, who has um, taught some of the great courses, uh, part of that series, will say that Jesus became a God. Same idea. Not that he was God, but that he became a God because of the church's thought. Well, I wanna tell you that the church did not make Jesus God. The church recognized his divinity. The church recognized that Jesus is God, and the creeds were written to protect the church from false teaching and to help us understand this unique nature of Christ, who is fully God and fully human. And that is what qualified him to be that mediator, that perfect man who would stand in our place and take upon himself our sins, paying the penalty that we deserved. He's the bridge. And he is the way to know the Father. We see the spirit of Antichrist at work in cults and false religions. Jehovah Witnesses will say that Jesus is a God, small a, not the God, big G. They say that Jesus was God's first creation and we should worship Jehovah only. Mormons will say that Jesus is our elder brother and one day we can become a God like him. Christian science says that Jesus was a great man inspired by the Christ idea, but he is not divine. In fact, one of the prominent traits of all non-Christian religions and the cults is their denial of the deity of Jesus Christ. They teach what is contrary to sound doctrine. So how do we protect ourselves? Well, John goes on to tell us that the word of God and the spirit of God were given to protect us from deception and to lead us into eternal life. We see that in verses 20 to 23. He said, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. You have an anointing from the Holy One. What is that anointing? That anointing is the Holy Spirit. Every believer has the Holy Spirit living within them. In fact, you cannot be a Christian apart from the Holy Spirit's work that opens our eyes to see our need for a savior. The Holy Spirit's the one who convicts us of our sin. The Holy Spirit's the one who empowers us. We are born again by the Spirit empowered by the Spirit, given gifts by the Spirit. I mean, it's a marvelous ministry that the Holy Spirit has in our life. One of the most amazing statements in all of Scripture is found twice in the book of 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 3.16 and in 1 Corinthians 6.19, the Apostle Paul will say, Do you not know that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit? and that God dwells in you. The word that Paul used to describe the temple or that he used for the temple there is the word naos in Greek and it referred to the most holy place in the temple, the holy of holies, the innermost sanctuary where God dwelt and now the Bible is saying that that place of residence is in you. Now, if you want to take something this week to chew on as a big idea and just let that sink in, let that thought sink into your heart. I mean, in that Jewish context in which Paul was writing, that thought would have been staggering. What are you saying, Paul? You're you're saying that now God has taken up residence in my heart? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Let that truth of his presence in your life change the way that you live because everywhere you go, God is with you. And he dwells not only in us individually, but he dwells with us corporately. When we meet like this, God is present in our midst. Jesus said in John sixteen thirteen, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. And that's why when John wrote he expected the believers in his church to be discerning. He expected them to pick up on the false teaching. That's part of why he said you don't need anyone to teach you. You know, you shouldn't need anyone to tell you that what these guys are saying is a lie. There should be in your own spirit, as the Holy Spirit works in you, just this, hey, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound like what Jesus taught. That doesn't sound like what the apostles taught. And you know that. And red flags are going off in your mind because you have come to know the spirit of the living God. It is the Holy Spirit who opens our heart and our mind to understand God's word. So if you see or you hear someone, whether they are in the church or outside of the church, and they are speaking or teaching what is, Not found in scripture, again, those red flags should go up in your mind, and you should recognize error when you hear it. It is sad but true that many leaders of cults started out in mainline and evangelical churches and then walked away from the truth. And they went off on their own or they followed some of these cult leaders because they really did not know Jesus or his word. I remember as a young Christian in 1978 watching the movie Deceived. And it was a movie about what happened with Jim Jones, the cult leader who was a charismatic leader and who had this group of people that were following them, following him and he led them down to Guyana and South America. And this charismatic leader led his followers to death by poison. 913 people died in that massacre, a tragic mass suicide when they were, quote, taking communion. And his followers came from Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, and United Church of Christ backgrounds. I mean, many different denominations represented in the people that became part of this cultic group. We live in a time of false Christ and deceptive teaching. And if someone is not grounded in the scripture and abiding in the spirit, they are are sitting ducks for false teaching. We need to know the word. We need to listen to the Spirit. And that is what John goes on to tell us in this last section. He said, let the Word of God and the Spirit of God abide in you. We see it in verse 24. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. Remain in the truth. John began this letter by saying, you know, that what we are sharing with you is simply what we have heard, it's what we've seen with our own eyes, it's what we have touched and handled concerning the word of truth. We are telling you about Jesus Christ so that you can have fellowship with us and fellowship with the Father. And in so doing, you will come to know the joy that we have found as well. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, the scripture says. Listen to the scriptures. Hold on to the truth that was given to us by the apostles. These men who risked their lives to bring us the word of God. And if you do that, you will remain in the Son and in the Father and you will have eternal life. You can read a thousand books in your lifetime But nothing is as important as knowing this one book. If there's one book you're gonna read and become a master of, let it be this book, the word of God, because it will change your heart and it will fill you with wisdom. When John wrote, he was encouraging those believers to hold on to what they had heard. Just having a Bible isn't enough. We need to read it. And we need to study it and we need to meditate on it and think about what it says. And most of all, we need to obey it. And as we do that, we will grow in our understanding of Jesus. Do you want to know the Father better? Do you want to know the Son better? Then this book is the key. Jesus said in John 14, 21, whoever has my words and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and I will show myself to him. One of the best things that I did as a young Christian was read through the whole Bible using a study guide to help me. I used uh, the daily walk from Walk Through the Bible Ministries. It was a great tool. And as I read like three chapters a day every day, and I'm following an outline, and it's helping me to understand it because I know that as you go through the scriptures, there are gonna be places where you have questions. You wonder, now, what is this about in the Old Testament? How does this fit in how does this apply to me as a New Testament believer? Or what am I supposed to take away from this? And as you begin to walk through those, your knowledge grows. And I did that over a two-year period. You could, if you have a study Bible, you could do the same thing with the study Bible, reading the notes that are below or the introduction to each book. And you can do that on your own. And the Holy Spirit will teach you as you read. But we also need other believers to encourage us along the way. When John says you have no need for anyone to teach you, he isn't discounting the teaching ministry of the church. He isn't saying that what we're doing here this morning right now is a waste of time, Uh, you don't need to do this, you can go off on your own. No, he is referring to the false teachers who have come in and again, John is just expecting that if you're a true believer, you don't need anyone to tell you that these guys are messed up in what they're saying. That's wrong. What they are saying is a lie. What we need is the truth of the word of God. And instead, when you hear the word of God accurately taught and proclaimed, your spirit is being convicted by the Holy Spirit and it either encourages and affirms or maybe it's convicting us of sin or it's saying, you know what he's talking about there? I really need to do. You know, right now, I'm not spending that daily time in the Word. I need that. Or I need to be more intentional about studying the Scripture. And the best thing I could do to hold me accountable would be to be in a small group with some other men or women that are doing that, that could encourage me in my relationship with Christ. We need the Word of God. Do you have a regular program for reading and studying the Scriptures Do you have a working knowledge of the word of God so you can find a verse when you need it? Whether it's to reply to someone in a conversation, to share the gospel and be able to do that with confidence or just to deal with temptation in your own life or apply it to a question that you are wrestling with. And also he is encouraging us to abide in the spirit. Be filled with the spirit. Every believer has a spirit dwelling in them, but the scripture says that sometimes through our disobedience, we grieve the spirit, or when he prompts us to do something and we don't wanna do it, we quench him. Being filled with the spirit is opening up our heart, asking him to fill us and use us and work through us. And early on again, as a Christian in my life, I learned to pray, and every day I'd say, Lord, Would you fill me and use me today? Here I am. Lord, I pray that you direct my heart and help me to walk with you today in fellowship and obedience and I've continued that practice because I want to be in tune with the Spirit. And when I talk about being filled with the Spirit, what John is saying here is that that Spirit that that is within you is real, he is true, and he will guide you into the truth. But even... In our relationship to the Holy Spirit, it takes some practice. It takes time and it takes obedience to be able to discern, are those thoughts just my own thoughts or is it coming from the Holy Spirit? And how do we know? Because, you know, sometimes some people have said some pretty wacky things and then they've said, well, the Spirit told me to do this. And there are some guidelines that are just basic that I can give you. Uh, Number one, the Spirit of God will never lead us or ask us to do something that is contrary to the Word of God. What the Spirit prompts us to do is always gonna be in line with the truth of Scripture. And secondly, the Spirit of God will always point us to Jesus, to the Son of God. And so even in churches or ministries, one of the things that you can ask or look for is, is this church really focused on lifting up Jesus Christ and wanting others to know him as Savior and Lord? Sometimes churches get unbalanced. You know, Sometimes churches can be so focused on the Holy Spirit or the work of the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit or the manifestations of the Spirit that it's really more Spirit-centered than Christ-centered. And on the other side, sometimes churches can be so afraid of the Holy Spirit that they never talk about it. And that's not right either. And we need to have that balance. But again, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will glorify me and he will take what you have heard from me and he will bring it to your mind. He will help you to grow in your relationship with Christ. We need the Word of God. We need the Spirit of God. We need those who can teach us and help us to grow in our relationship with him. If you wanna know more about the Holy Spirit's ministry, which is really significant, I'd encourage you to come to the ABF next Sunday at 10.30 because I'm gonna be teaching about that. (laughs) A little commercial here, but it it comes up in our study of the Apostles' Creed and we're gonna be talking about the work of the Holy Spirit next Sunday. Well, in conclusion, bringing this together, The Word of God and the Spirit of God are our only protection in a world filled with Antichrist. The only way to stay solid in your walk with God is to be a person who's in the Word and who's listening to the Spirit, who's being obedient to the things that God asks us. And you will find that as you do that, you will learn to hear the voice of the Spirit more. And you will feel that assurance in your heart. And you'll be like those, I I think of the old hymn, You Ask Me How I Know He Lives. He lives within my heart. And I can tell you that Jesus is real because of the change that he's made in my life. And that's what all of us should be able to say. And we look at his grace and his mercy. We have felt his love. We've seen the work of the Spirit who's opened our eyes to see again the beauty of Christ. Remain in the truth and let the Spirit of God abide in you. Let's pray. Father, your word is so practical. I think of this passage of scripture that was written 2,000 years ago or almost 2,000 years ago and yet it speaks to us and our generation and the times in which we live. And oh, how we need you even as we say. We need your word. And so I pray that you would help us to know it well, to be faithful in our time that we spend with you in the word and prayer growing in our relationship with Christ, helping others to know you better and to come into the family. And I pray that we would listen to your spirit, that we would have that kind of discernment and understanding that you want for each of us to experience. We would have confidence that we are in Christ and that you dwell in us and may that confidence just change the way that we live may we walk in humility and walk with thankfulness in our heart for all that you have given to us in Jesus name we pray amen well this morning we do not have a closing hymn uh, so I'm going to do something that I had never done before until today I'm gonna sing the benediction and I'd like you to stand. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace and give you peace and give you peace forever.